Broadcasting glorious purpose across the interdimensional airways. This is Bo, aka Loki variant HTJM84. And Lorraine, aka Loki variant RVJM91. And you are tuned into the most mischievous show on the multiverse, where we are talking all things Loki. This episode, episode four of season two. But first, Lorraine, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Watched the episode last night. Uh, as soon as it ended, I immediately started watching it again because my mind was blown. <laughs> yes, so. a lot of things were was blo- a lot of things were blown at the end of that. <laughs> At the end of that episode, I'm uh, man, I, I'm so so very excited because, of course, you are about to be in town. We are uh, just days away from Halloween. Have you got your your Halloween costume all all picked out and and ready to go? Yes, I'm going to be Evil Kermit. Oh, you mean Constantine from Muppets Most Wanted? Yes. Originally, I put it on because I was going to be Kermit dressed as the Count, like oh. Kermit in disguise. But when I put it on, I was like, wait, I look just <laughs> like evil Kermit. So that's a way better costume. It's so interesting because like I saw that I knew instantly who you were. I mean, And mostly because my kids are like super into Muppets Most Wanted. But I realized to like the vast majority of people over the age of 10 like they they know it as the evil Kermit meme more so exactly. than the actual character from the movie. I actually forgot where the character came from. So when you said Muppets Must One, I was like, oh, I should probably watch it to you know be able to fully express the character. That's true. You sh- you should know like what the character stands for. You might be making a vastly you know uh, oh, no. <laughs> commentary. <laughs> With this Russian spy that you've decided to dress up. Okay, as. well, worst case scenario, I am Kermit dressed as the Count. There you go. Well, we'll go with that if, if needed. But no, I think it's great. I think it's great. I I'm I'm in a bit of a bind because my I had my my costume all picked out. I was going to be Luffy from One Piece, and now we are tracking for like forty to fifty degree, fifty to forty degree weather oh, yeah. on Halloween night in Houston, Texas which I was not prepared for. So I cannot be rocking a Luffy costume in that kind of weather sitting out on the front patio, uh, front porch and, uh, and handing out candy. So going to have to go back to the drawing board, but I will probably be some kind of pirate. I would go as Loki, except I'm saving all that for, for crew of Loki. I thought about it as well, but no, I've, I've got to, I've got to reinvent myself next year as Sylvie. There you go. Well, we want all of you who are going as Loki this year to be sure to take some selfies, uh, tweet them into us. You can tweet them into at TV talk FM, send them into at TV talk FM, or if you're on Instagram, uh, send them to at crew of Loki and we will make you an honorary uh, uh, Loki at least for a day and, uh, and share that out. So be sure to, uh, to do that. Hope you all have some uh, spooky fun for Halloween, but right now we've got some, uh, some TV to talk. Lorraine, you ready to get into it? Let's do it. Let's get into the room down. Episode four of season two, Heart of the TBA, directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Lorraine, what happened this episode? Miss Minutes reveals that Renslayer was once he who remains partner and commander of his army before he who remains ordered her memories erased along with everyone else's. As the temporal loom reaches catastrophic failure, Loki and his allies attempt to use Timely and OB's throughput multiplier to fix it, but Renslayer, Miss Minutes, and Wolf attempt to thwart them to take the TVA for themselves, kidnapping Timely, pruning D90, and killing Dox and her men when they refuse to join them. In the midst of the conflict, Loki encounters his time-slipping self and prunes him. 
Opie deactivates Miss Minutes, and the dampeners prevent Sylvie from using her magic, enabling Sylvie to enchant Wolf, who prunes Renslayer. Timely is able to unlock the temporal loom, but the temporal radiation disintegrates him before he can launch the throughput multiplier. The temporal loom explodes, and everyone is engulfed in the blast wave as it spreads throughout the TVA. Dun, dun, dun. So, kind of a big ending, uh, kind of a mic drop moment at the end, where literally <laughs> it fades to black, and you're left with literal nothingness. Uh, I don't know about you, I stayed all the way to the credits, hoping there would be kind yeah. of like a... You know, the Loki variants or something that we had the last yeah, season. exact Nothing. same thing. I even like after the screen goes tiny, we clicked on the screen because I was like, no, what if what if there's more? What if there's more? And they just really want to hide it from us. And there was nothing. Nope, it was gone. It was gone. Everything's gone. Everything's gone. As you uh, <laughs> as, as you're kind of left with this, it leaves you with the sense of like, what did I just see? It makes total sense that you went back and rewatched it a second time. Had I had the option I probably would have, but I've had some chances this morning to kind of marinate on everything. And, you know, one of the things that I've really appreciated about this season is the way in which they are doing things with the kind of sci-fi 90s cults, like, you know, 80s corporate structure, like all of these different, very modern Western, and then also very like retro sci-fi and the way in which they're kind of, uh, you know, playing around with this universe. And yet... They've tied it into elements of Norse mythology. If at least it's there, if you choose to see it, and I think that you got to do that with Loki. Like you're dealing with the god of mischief. You're dealing with a character who is deeply tied to you know Marvel's take on Thor and Odin and all of these uh, Norse gods and that sort of thing. And so to take the character of Loki and put him in a setting that's so very different is humorous in season one. But now that he's so comfortable here in season two, the other elements kind of need to bleed in here and there. And I've got some thoughts about the way that all plays out. We're going to talk about it kind of throughout this episode. But one of the main things that we get a chance to see uh, this week is the debate that takes place between Loki and Sylvie as they're discussing, you know, what is right. Like, you know, from this standpoint, the timelines are overloading the loom. Like decisions need to be made. Who's going to live? Who's going to die? Who's going to tell the story? Sylvie denies this concept, says that we're not gods. Loki's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. we actually very much and very specifically are gods. But are they gods of order or gods of chaos? That's the question. Because, of course, Loki is very much like the god of mischief. He is, you know, the god of chaos, theoretically. And yet... Here we see him lording over chaos, or not really lording over chaos, but looking over chaos and desiring to create order. So maybe in that way, it's kind of like a a re-characterization of the concept of a god of mischief or a god of chaos is that he manages the chaos. It's organized chaos, if you will, under the watchful eyes of our Lord and Savior, Loki. What I, I noticed when he told Sylvie we are gods, he seemed disappointed. Like I was wondering why he he delivered the line, we are gods. Like kind of sad. Like, is he sad about himself? Because he's like, I'm technically the god of mischief, but I've totally switched a flip here and I'm all about this order thing. Interesting. Have I changed? Or it could it be that this variant of Loki is not the god of mischief it's the god of order so okay i don't know i rewatched that after you said that he seemed sad 
I don't, I don't get sad out of that. I think that what we get is Loki with like a level of, with, of gravity behind that line, some levity behind that. Like, like with the, with the realization of, okay, let me, let me put it like this. Loki is on the same journey that Thor was on in the first Thor movie. Right. Loki even like references in that Mm -hmm. in like, you know, he goes to Midgard, he comes back, he's different. Think about who Thor was in the first Thor film. Like he was, you know, brash and like, oh, I'm like, oh, look at me. Big ups to me. I'm going to be king. And Odin is about to like make him king and everything else. And he's like twirling around his hammer and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm Thor. I'm going to go. I'm going to create war. You know, I'm going to go and you know, fight the frost giants and kick off a whole nother, you know, world's war situation. And all of this is from a Thor who doesn't understand what it truly means to be king. He doesn't understand what uh, a Thor is who truly understands what it means to rule. And so Odin is disgusted by this. He banishes him and he sends him away until he is worthy enough to come back. And if you think about Thor's journey throughout all of the MCU, or at least all of the kind of the Infinity Saga, it is about Thor learning what it means to be humble, to be king, right? And I mean, like, admittedly, when it's all said and done, you get to all the way to Endgame and he is the most humble, the most broken he ever has been. And then ultimately he ends up passing the the throne to to someone else uh to valkyrie right like so like ultimately even when we see him at the end of ragnarok when he's sitting on the phone and we see him over his people he's lost his kingdom but he recognizes the value of his kingdom as his people but then he's broken down even further and loses them and so anyway you think about what thor's journey was it was about learning what it means to be king and ultimately becoming his father even to the point of losing an eye with loki Loki has wanted to be God King ever like that whole thing with him coming to Midgard. He wanted to come to Midgard. He wanted to rule. He wanted to conquer. He wanted to be seen as the God of Midgard, right? Like this is his you know mm-hmm. brazen thing. He's filled with glorious purpose. They were all made to be ruled. He's got this whole mindset of what it means to be a God and to subjugate your followers and to have them grovel before you. What we've seen in this variance journey as he's plucked out of that moment in time, you know, he hasn't had any of the rest of the journey of the other Loki, of our prime Loki. This one, it was literally plucked right out of that mindset. And so what is he learning throughout the course of all this is the weight of what it means to be a God King. He, like mm. the language he even uses, you can't just give people free will and leave them at that. It's a recognition that to like create or to to uh, you know end up in this kind of creator role and grant your creation full-fledged free will and let them run amok is to be a you know absentee parent and to be a, a god that doesn't care he understands the weight he's understanding the weight of what it actually is to be god and to be a god king and so i think that's when he says that you know we are gods I don't necessarily see that as a sadness of like, oh, I used to be the God of mischief and now I'm the God of order. I see it as he understands maybe for the first time, the weight of everything he ever said he wanted. He now has, but he understands it. You know what I mean? Yes. That makes perfect sense to me. This is my thought. This is my theory. And so I'm very, I'm, Cannot wait to see where everything is going. Of course, this is all, nothing matters anymore because everything's destroyed. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's just uh let's just like we're gonna talk about this episode as if the end didn't happen until we need to talk about the end. You know what I mean? Because otherwise, yes. it's like 
nothing matters. Everything is pointless. Exactly. You know, <laughs> yeah. Judge Renslater, we've been talking about how she wants to be she who remains. And in this, we do get the revelation. And I believe uh, you called it last week that she was there at the beginning, that she was actually kind of the original Eve to, uh, you know, uh, he who remains Adam and was, you know, at the creation of the TVA. Sounds like she's not alone either. Yeah, uh, I really thought she like created the whole thing, though. But it sounds like her primary role was leading the army. So she played a different role, but she was there from the beginning. Well, it's interesting, right? So she, the 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 concept that she was the leader of the army during the multiversal war implies that the multiversal multiversal war, at least the one that predated this existence, this iteration of the uh, uh, sacred timeline, that the Kangs, or at least he who remains anyway, was not just operating on his own, but he was able to raise up some kind of army of followers from. Who knows where? Maybe from variants across the various timelines or something of that nature. It does make me wonder if when we ultimately go up against Kang or the Council of Kangs, are we just going up against Kangs or do each one have their own acolytes and followers? You see what I'm saying? Because if she's not a Kang variant, that means that Kangs are going to be recruiting. Yes. So when when he who remains says to miss minutes wipe all their memories is he talking about his army is he talking about the tba uh, i have a feeling that all the yeah the same i think i think it's everyone i think the idea is that like they were all part of establishing this i mean you think about obi right like the whole concept between obi obi seems to know right like he seems to be the only one that has some concept of memory of what came before but even then it's I, you know, you got to wonder, like, to what extent is that limited? Or is it limited? He remembers Victor Timely. Mm-hmm. Right. So he remembers Victor Timely, who helped write the, T- the TVA handbook. Maybe when Miss Minutes rewrote everybody's uh, memory, she didn't do Obi's because Obi was, you know, kind of deep in the, the bowels of the, the TV. He was in the heart of the TVA. Or maybe he's not a real person, so she couldn't wipe his memories. I mean, I'm still on that. I think that's the the uh, LMD OB theory. I, I I dig that. I'm I'm still kind of in that mindset as well. I'm sticking with it. I think it's good. I think that's definitely good. But no, I think because he think really that, did learn everything he needed to know from Victor Timely because he created him. Well, and so therein lies the whole thing, right? Like, so we're we're introduced to the the you know OB specifically calling out the snake eating its tail, uh, which is a reference to his name. All of this is kind of like tied to this, like everything handing off. And we saw everything hand off in this episode. We got a callback to the recording that Loki saw when he was time slipping before or heard when he was time slipping before. We got the moment that he was uh, pruned. And we saw specifically that that was, in fact, as most everybody guessed when they first saw it, it was Loki pruning himself. The phone call, the ominous phone call in a very <sighs> plus Marvel bait and switch. It's just Obi wondering where everybody is. I was so disappointed. I was like, oh, it's the phone call. We're about to see. It's just, hey, what's taking you guys so long? What? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's uh it's 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 quicksilver all over again. Like it's just like, you know, oh, you thought you thought that was gonna be a big deal. It's not a big deal. <laughs> they gotta put at least one it's i I think it's brilliant you gotta put at least one like bait and switch situation in there and uh the phone call is a great way to do it so we get all of those i believe all of the loops 
have been fulfilled. Everything that was has come to be, and the paradoxes are all tightly in a new loop, except for one massive, massive exception, which is, of course, we need Victor Timely to create the TVA. And if he doesn't exist, he can't do that. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. So we get all of this, right? We get the snake eating its tail. And this episode kind of begs the question, what happens when the snake gets to the end? You know what I mean? And like, what what ends up mm-hmm. happening when there's no more tail to consume? But in Loki fashion, I've got to give a kind of a connection with uh, actual Norse mythology here, because I've been thinking about it from the standpoint of, you know, again, you've got two things. You've got the MCU elements of Loki understanding what it means to be the God King that he always wanted to be. But then there's all these different elements where they're playing around with their take on Norse mythology. And I'm starting to wonder, given the heavy leaning on the imagery of a snake eating its tail that we've gotten since the beginning, I'm wondering if that could, to some extent, be a reference to Yomengander. Yomengander. You don't know about Yomengander? Yeah, I don't. It's Loki's son. (laughs) The world serpent that surrounds the world. So this is this is my like my cons like sorry, sorry sorry this is like Norse mythology right Norse mythology, uh you, like Greek mythology you know how you have like Atlas holding up the world right so in a lot of mythological uh, understandings of the universe there's kind of this question of what keeps the world all together and so there's this mindset of like okay well there must be some sort of deity that holds up the world either in the cosmos or just kind of keeps all of reality tight and and you know fixed and so yomingander is the norse take on that it is li- this literal large world serpent that surrounds the world and keeps it all together and so something about the this idea of a large snake in the cyclical fashion that is holding everything together did kind of remind me of this this notion of a snake eating its tail so with Yomingander being not just a Norse character of Norse mythology and this kind of circular snake that is keeping everything together, but also the son of Loki, he's the father of Yomingander. I got to wonder if there might be some kind of nod to that. I might be reaching, but I don't think that I am. So then OB is a nod to Yomingander? OB. Okay. This is going to be an early stab in the dark. I'm just going to throw it out there. What if OB was created by Loki. What if Loki is actually responsible for the creation of Obi? So Obi is, for all intents and purposes, the Yomengander of this universe that was, or maybe one day will become. I don't know. So and I don't mean like Loki... again. I'm still in the L and D stand like mindset, but like maybe they like again. It's the yeah. creation of Yomengander. Yeah, like as in he's his son, or Loki has by magical powers created him. It could be magical powers. It could be technology. It could be anything. There's different takes in um in the God of War video game franchise. Uh, they do kind of a unique take on Loki creating Yomingander by putting the soul of a giant into a uh, the soul of a dead giant into this snake, and then the snake grows exponentially and becomes Yomingander. So the idea is that he's like kind of a kind of a spiritual father to Yomingander. I think in mythology, it's more like you know. Loki, Loki, A, turned into a lot of animals and B, uh, had intimate relation with a lot of animals. Uh, so <laughs> there's, there's a lot of that going on. You know, there's some kind of Zeus uh, style getting around from that standpoint. Uh, <laughs> and to be fair, I can't quite remember at the moment who Yomengander's mother was. So, and it's also possible that the Loki was the mother of Yomengander now that I think about it. 
because uh, he was the mother of a couple of different creatures. Because again, shapeshifter goes both ways. But I do think he was the father of Yomengander, with possibly Yomengander's mother being the mother of giants, which Sylvie? It's it might be a stretch. It might be a stretch. It might be, but I mean, the snake thing, there's, there's, I mean, his name literally means a snake eating itself. He talks mm-hmm. about a snake eating itself. And it sounds like the snake keeps the world going round. So there, you could be onto something there. I think I am. Hey, speaking of on, on something, Miss Minutes, um, we, we want to talk about what's going on with Miss Minutes. Cause like when she was watching the, you know, Judge and the the Minutemen all getting cubified. Ooh. That was the most disturbing scene I have seen in a very long time. Definitely in the MCU. It was, was rough. I was awful. I'm glad that like it was a it was a good move not showing us yes. what they oh were looking goodness. at because the horror on everybody else's face and the delight on Miss Minutes' face, I feel like is so much more disturbing. Yes, I've got a picture of Miss Minute's face doing that on my phone. And I'm just like, there's nothing scarier than this (laughs) face. She's and I was like, are they make like they're going out of their way to show us Miss Minute's is evil. So it's like, why is she so evil? Is it because of Kang? Is it what happens when you create AI with free will and let it go on about its way without any kind of you know, parental control. An AI who can also wipe everyone's memory. Yes. Yes. That too. <laughs> very, very dangerous. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. That's a good, uh, it's a good question, but it's no, really minutes. cautionary tale about the dangers of AI. <laughs> <laughs> well, or again, I, it could also be that she's the embodiment. Maybe she's the lesson that Sylvie will learn that this is what happens when you give something free will and you give them no parameters or no boundaries or no control is they end up becoming, you know, a psychopathic holographic clock. Like this is not, <laughs> is this really what you want for the timeline, Sylvie? <laughs> yeah. This is your legacy. Miss minutes just being like, Ooh, yeah. By the way, did you get the uh-huh. sense that timely had his own kind of secret agenda throughout all of this? Yeah. Off and on, like when he went to the hot chocolate stand and he was holding it up. I was like, oh, he's about to take the stick. And he snaps his fingers. And I was like, the stick is gone. But it was because X5 had taken it. I don't know. I kind of went back and forth between like, oh, he's just like an innocent man who's just like really geeking out over the TVA to, oh, this guy is undercover and something bad's about to happen. And I couldn't really decide. And then at the end, I still don't really know. But uh, I think I think he was just... Victor Timely from a branched timeline who got himself in an unfortunate position. Okay. I've, I've got, I've got a theory that it's not fully baked out. I've got kind of a stab in the dark that I'm going to throw in right now. So two things, one timely, like the fact that he snapped right when he went, it was very reminiscent of he who remains knowing exactly what was going to happen. You know what I mean? Like he was able to dodge this, that, and the other, because Everything was scripted. Everything that happened, he knew exactly what was going to happen. And then it did happen. And it was, you know, a whole thing. I have a theory that is, again, not fully baked out. I need to like go back and rewatch a few things to kind of add to this or to debunk it. But what if 
All right. So, you know, you know, the infinity symbol, right? Like the, the eights, yeah. the twirling. There's two sides of that. What if he who remains is one side and the other side is Obi? And what if Victor Timely or the Kang variant that we meet on the sacred timeline, the, the young one, what am I, I'm, I'm kind of building off my theory from last week. What if that child was dropped there and another child was taken away from that point in the timeline? And what if that other child that was taken away from the timeline is a young Obi? So this is different from the, the Obi's and LMD. This is a totally different theory, okay? And, and this one, the mindset is they both take turns kind of being the head of the TVA, right? I'm going a little cross-eyed on this one. It's it's a theory that I haven't fully baked out yet. But my thought is that perhaps Victor Timely is a Kang variant who took Obi's life in Chicago 1900s and lived it. And Obi got and thrown into a different timeline. And at the end of at the end of time, once we're ready for like a reset, that Obi will become the new he who remains. Mm. And perhaps timely becomes the new Obi. Maybe. I don't know. This is just, a, again, it's not a fully baked out theory. It's just, there's something about the way in which these two gentlemen, like they, they recognize each other. They see each other. It reminded me a lot, actually, of, did you ever watch Westworld? No. Okay. You're, you're familiar with the concept. But I know of it. Yeah. Yeah. So Westworld, the theme park robots. Um, the idea is you go in and, you know, all of these adventures are happening and you can kind of engage with all the robots and everything else. And there's different stories. You're basically living a video game. The robots are on story loops and you can go and kind of like play out that story and then go find another robot and then play out that story, that sort of thing, like side quests in a video game. Well, uh, in season two of Westworld, we come to discover that Westworld is only one of many theme parks that are all owned by this large uh, conglomerate or this large kind of, you know, Disney-ish uh, organization that manages all these different theme parks. Another one is Shogun World. And in Shogun World, they actually, you know, when they're kind of running away and trying to hide out away from Westworld, they end up in Shogun World, but they find that a lot of the characters, while they're all samurai, are very similar to the characters that they had in Westworld. They actually have one of the writers with them who points out he kind of copied a lot of the stories and just pasted them into what Shogun World is. So instead of like, you know, a cowboy in a black hat knocking over a saloon, it's like these, you know, rogue samurai coming in to take out the tea house and, and steal the th like it's like the exact same scene beat for beat. And you even have characters from Westworld meeting their Shogun counterpart and almost mirroring each other. And so I was thinking about that as we saw like Obi and Victor wanting to exchange books and kind of the way in which they were kind of posturing around each other just seemed like whatever it was that was connecting them might be a mirroring of two sides of the same coin. That is interesting. That makes me think of something that I noticed in a couple of episodes is this, like the framing how one or two episodes ago, X5 is laying down and he sees everything upside down and then the camera flips it right side up. And then in this episode, when they were all standing in that orange room, you could see their reflection on the ceiling. So it kind of gave me that same vibe mm. of like the upside down or whatever, but it's like Dark the same thing going on. Yeah, like the reflection of it. So I don't know yeah. if, if that maybe is is uh, symbolic of that, but that did make me think of that. 
It could. It very well could. Did I did get some vibes of um when Casey and Obi and and Victor were all working on the device together, it reminded me of something you said last week about how like perhaps the three timekeepers are three of the characters from this season. Yes. And I was thinking about how most of the people that work at the TVA are just X5 or B15 or whatever, but then only a few actually have names. We've got Casey, mm. Mobius, Ouroboros. Who else has what? a name? Everybody that's not a hunter, right? Because all the hunters have kind of codes and everybody else has a name. So is it possible? Well, no. I was going to say maybe only the hunters are variants and everybody else is more of an original creation. I mean, they are putting like a lot of weight on the concept of Mobius. Like, why haven't you checked on who your who you person is? But we know for a fact that, uh, well, we know for a fact that Renslayer has a variant or is a variant. And yet we also True. know that she used to be a hunter. Because in, in the at the beginning, like the flashback at the beginning of the uh, episode, she was wearing hunter garb. And I think her like tag was mm-hmm. a something, a 20 something or a 40 something. I can't remember. Anyway, the point is that like she was a hunter. So maybe. Maybe it has to do with if you're if you're a hunter, you're a variant. Everybody else is not. And Rinslayer is more of like a. She actually is a variant, but she's been posturing like she's not. I don't know. I was, I'm. I'm reaching. Another thing that I noticed on my second rewatch is when Victor Timely is looking at the art and has all the timekeepers and all the stuff going on. Yeah. On the right panel of that, it's the three timekeepers. And then it looks like a bunch of people being crushed. And I was like, is that supposed to be all the people getting crushed in that orange room? And then the three timekeepers, which in this scenario would be Renslayer and Miss Minutes and uh, X5. Wow. Okay. Interesting. I don't know, but I was like, because the people do look like they're being crushed. Yeah, we might need to study that that artwork a little bit closer. That's good. That's a good catch. Other than um, the, you know, I, I felt like overall, like Hunter B fifteen hasn't really had a lot to do this season. Like, I feel like she's been around to to be a little judgmental on like, what? There's there, you, we can't kill people. We can't kill people. And then it's like, I, well, I don't know what we need to do. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah, she hasn't had much of an arc. Casey, I was surprised Casey was even going to have like as much of an arc as he has, which is barely anything. But I just was surprised that he was coming back. Mobius didn't really have anything to do other than contemplate his own existence. Uh, Sylvie, I feel like she didn't have as much to do with this episode. We did get a return of some of the judges, or at least one of the judges. Well, no, we got a return of uh, the other two judges. I guess there's still the one that was asleep. He's probably asleep somewhere in this. And we got a better opportunity to see that, like, okay, no, the TVA holistically, B-15 has been able to kind of convert some people over to the mindset of like, okay, the the timekeepers, so to speak, were, you know, our gods are dead. But beyond that, like they were wrong in the first place. And we need to figure out a way so that we can manage these timelines to allow them to exist. And so her off screen. Uh, <laughs> I always, always hate it when characters have development off screen, but her off screen motivations of, of the judges has actually brought at least one of them over to this mindset. And then with the one that I thought was Sylvie, but I'm starting to think is not Sylvie, uh, that died this week, uh, docs, docs. I'm kind of a little confused about her about face. Cause she was all about wiping out the yeah. branches and then they're trying to fix things, but then she doesn't want to fix things. So like, what is, I, I couldn't figure out by the end of this, like what exactly is her motivation that she's so willing to die she, for? 
She switched real quick. It was like, oh, once I realized that Miss Minutes and Rinslayer are actually evil because they're going to kill us all, I think I'll be on the right side of history. <laughs> well, But it yeah. was real quick. You got to have history in order to be on the right side of it. And we, we definitely don't have that. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm still so confused, though, about the relationship between Brad, who she calls Bradley, and Docs. I'm like, what what happened here that they have this like total like it just seems so mother son or something special. But I don't know. I don't even I don't know. I don't know either. I'm very eager to like get there's just so many different answers that are are they're coming eventually, one imagines, as long as existence I exists. Hope. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think the ultimate answer is none of it matters. So none of it matters. You know what? <laughs> that none of it matters. And I think that's gonna bring us to this week's Taylor Watch. <laughs> it's me. Hi. No! Wow. Okay, right. For real though, for real though. There's no Taylor. There's no Taylor in this week's episode, but she was seen with the director of Deadpool 3, apparently. Yes, she was spotted out in New York this week with the director of Deadpool 3 sparking rumors that she will make an appearance in Deadpool 3. And if she can make a guess... uh, Go ahead. My guess is she will not be in Deadpool 3, but she will write a song that will be in the credits of Deadpool 3. Oh, that would be hilarious. (laughs) You know, Celine Dion made a a song for Deadpool 2, and it is a beautiful song. (laughs) You know, maybe like Deadpool... Probably... Uh, is it, can is it beauty come out of you, you haven't heard it you, no, and you still haven't heard it actually that it doesn't ring a bell but if taylor swift writes a song for deadpool 3 you know i will know that one pretty well could even get an oscar nom who knows she's she's really been trying to get that oscar nom so i can she didn't get it for cats for Actually, I think she did get an Oscar nom for Cats. I'm pretty sure she did. That I mean, it's, it's of all the it, it was the best. Her song was the best part of Cats. So it, did you see it? I yes. I did. See I, it. I saw it. It's, it's a definitive Halloween movie for us now because of how terrifying it is. We don't wait. We, we haven't watched it this year. So maybe we'll watch it when you're over here. <laughs> Wonderful. The girls like my kids have been asking to watch Cats and I'm like, no, I don't want you to have nightmares. But I don't know. Maybe they're old <laughs> enough now. All right. Well, there you go. That's your Taylor watch this week. Uh, We've got some major stabs in the dark. We got to talk all about that ending and what's to come. Stick around. We'll be right back. (laughs) Stabs in the dark. Okay. Kick us off, Lorraine. Where where do you want to, where do you want to go with this? We got a lot of stabs in the dark. What is the name of the land where everyone goes when they're pruned? Yes. The void at the end of time. The void at the end. Okay. So, okay. This is so sorry. Let me back up. Okay. Back it so up. So when, when the big explosion happens of time, there's, there's three things maybe that have happened. Can we just say real quick that that was like shocking the sound you, know, you gotta like, I, you, I never say this kind of stuff, but the sound mixing for that moment when Victor like gets ripped apart is horrifyingly shocking. Mm-hmm. So well done. Sorry, go ahead. So yes, yeah, so I'm thinking there's three potential possibilities that have happened with the big explosion and they inform all of my theories. So one, option number one, all of time is destroyed. Option number two, the TVA is destroyed, but time goes on. Option number three, time is not destroyed. It's just an infinite 
branches now. And all the people in the TVA have been swallowed up into time and they've all been split along different time branches. And Sylvia's going to have to use her fancy Timbad thing to get the gang back together to figure out. Although she's not going to want to rebuild the TVA. So she's probably just going to be like, this is what I wanted all along. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I won. Right. It, 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 um, it was definitely like the Sylvie's in game. Like this is, this is what she wanted. Um, yeah. Albeit she had very little other than, you know, really starting the whole process of, of killing he who remains uh, ever since then, she hasn't had a whole lot of agency in it, but yeah. Okay. So let's go with the first one. Um, all of existence is wiped out. Um, it was great. We had fun. You know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, it, there was the MCU so yeah. many years. Yep, and it's now it's nothing. now it's gone. That's that's one. So in, if that happens, the void at the end of time, I don't think that's destroyed. It's just the void at no. the end of time. It exists outside of time, and we've seen that, that. We saw that before, and as you're kind of alluding to, Renslayer, right before all this goes down, did uh, she did get pruned, and so we know where she is. In fact, there. actually, that makes literally her. She who remains. She is literally the only one who remains. So, well, called it <laughs> potentially, but Loki, we saw him prune himself. So, when he prunes himself, does he go to the void at the end of time? Because in that situation, remember, he had to be pruned at the exact moment for the thing that he and Mobius were doing. So, that was more connected to that than it was Loki actually going to the end of time. Unless Loki experienced something between that moment and episode one, which is possible that we that Loki knows about, but the rest of us don't know about. It also might help explain how things change so drastically between episodes one and two, if that's the case. So that's possible. The only problem is you have to have a timeline for all of that to exist on, which we don't have. Theoretically, right? Yes. Renslayer, Renslayer's in the void at the end of time. Mm-hmm. She is going to have to rebuild the TVA because that's what she's after. Thus restarting the whole thing. And then we go into the snake eating itself. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. So she's going to get there, right? So she's going to get the void in time. She can run into a couple of different people. Um, or things uh, while she's there. For one thing, we know that Kid Loki's still out there. We know that Loki the Bold or Bold Loki, whatever he was called, is still out there. Uh, old Loki, classic Loki, dead. Probably not, uh, but it'd be cool if he comes back. Uh, single-handed President Loki is potentially out there. We also know that Gator Loki is out there as well, uh, a.k.a. the Superior Loki. We also know that Anias, or I think Anias or Anilus. Elias. Elias, thank you. Uh, Big Cloud Monster uh, is out there. Cloud Monster might be a very interesting uh, situation for Renslayer. We know now that Renslayer was part of the multiversal war. She was on He Who Remains' side. We know that He Who Remains was able to weaponize uh, a said Cloud Beast as a way of you know conquering uh, the Conqueror. And so from that standpoint, it stands to reason that Renslayer, maybe who she was before this, was the tamer. Of Anias. So maybe since her memory is wiped, she'll be at the void at the end of time, be like, What is this? What is that giant monster? She'll start running away and it'll go 
and it'll run faster and faster to her. And then it'll stop and be like, sit down and start panting. Just right. Waiting for right. Her to exactly. Pet it. Yeah. And she's like, Oh, we have a history. We are best friends and I'm going to use <laughs> you to help me reconquer all of time. Exactly. Or it also could be, it could be. So the last time that we saw it was when Sylvie uh, enchanted it. So when, it, so when, when Renslayer gets there, she could literally like just see it kind of floating unconsciously around the void and much like kind of picking the, um, the, the splinter out of the lion's paw, she might be able to somehow like nurse it back to health. I just think that there's going to be some sort of relationship there from either a previous point in her lack of memory or something's going to be established that is going to give her a pretty significant edge on whatever happens next. That's my theory there. There's another factor that they made a big deal about how by taking Miss Minutes offline and rebooting the TVA, the magic and meta dampeners are going to go away. And all we saw was Sylvie enchanting, you know, Bradley. And that was it. I got to think that more either happened or can happen or will happen now that like, you know, the magic cuffs are off for both Lokis. So you think the security protocols are still down? I think so. Yeah. Ms. Mims didn't come back. I thought that once he rebooted or when it was, the system was down, it turned off the security. But when it came back up, when the power was back on. Interesting. Magic is now blocked. It's possible. It's possible. I don't know. I just feel like they made such a big deal out of that. It was literally just Sylvie enchanting Bradley for like five seconds. It, it took seemed- me on my second watch to realize when they're on the phone and then he, he's like, no one will be able to do magic. And Loki and Sylvie look at each other and they're like, turn it off, you know, <laughs> like speaking to each other, just like, oh, we can use magic for five minutes. Turn it off. Oh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. So, okay. This is. Mm, I don't know that this is spoilery, but I do want to kind of acknowledge that I'm about to refer to some things that have been seen in previews for the next episode, right? In previews, we've seen Loki time slipping outside of the TVA, but we haven't really seen that happen yet. So I'm wondering if one of two things is possible. Either Loki could time slip right out of this explosion and go somewhere else on the timeline and kind of outrun the explosion. You know what I mean? So like it's, it's a blast radius. We saw the way in which the explosion was going down and it's literally like expanding. So theoretically Loki could pop up at at various points on the timeline before, you know, the, the temporal wave hits and kind of outrun it while trying to figure out what's going on. And along the way, we might actually see him getting the band back together so that he time slips to a, say, a jet ski salesman and grabs him and the two time slip to, say, where Casey is at bat. We don't know where he might be, you know, like and we see him like time slipping and grabbing kind of the variants of all of these different people. To potentially undo or at least land wherever things are after the explosion. I see the explosion as kind of your third theory, more of like a big bang type situation where everything's wiped out, 
but that doesn't mean it's not going to be replaced. I think everything is going to be replaced with a completely uncontrolled universe, no time loom, no TVA, or there's at least a TVA in like wreckage, that sort of thing, but there's no control. So there's just constant, infinite number of timelines, which means Kang multiversal war that's going to happen which we know it's going to happen anyway because spoilers, but Kang Dynasty is a movie that's going to be happening. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, but this is the explanation for how we get from the sacred timeline to, you know, the multiversal war. There is only the war. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I definitely see that happening. At the end of all things, I think we'll probably end up with Loki gathering the variants of all of the, our favorite friends from around the the multi or from the TVA uh and pulling them into the wreckage of whatever is left of the TVA afterwards to perhaps re you know create you know to build something to harness and to put things back in order which and will come into play that's... in Loki season 3 slash at the end of the Kang dynasty putting things back into order, thus becoming the timekeepers. Yes. You know, and I thus really ultimately like becoming Casey... the God King that he was on a journey to become. Yeah. I do ultimately hope that Casey gets like, he becomes the savior of everyone because season one, he just was like, yeah, I'm just here, you know, but it's like, you, you really have this story coming for you. You just don't even know it yet. Right. Yeah, save that's, us all. It's always good. That's that's nice. Okay. All right. Any other uh, any other big stabs in the dark you want to make? Well, I think this one's super far fetched, but I'm gonna make it anyways because uh, you know, it's a real stab in the dark. But okay, so if my theory that all of time is destroyed with the giant explosion, what's left? Nothing. So, the Watcher does oh! he come back? Has he been watching this whole thing? And he's like. Oh goodness, it's all gone. I've got to do something about this. And he helps restart all of time. Yes, I am a thousand percent on board with this. I actually I'm kind of embarrassed that I I I didn't even think of it. This is this is this is so good. This is so good. This is not far-fetched in the least. This is like this is mm, okay. The watcher, of course, from what if the concept is from what if. Yes, this is this is the concept is that this is a character who he he's, he watches from from out of t- I can't my, my voice is gone so I can't <laughs> but the idea is that he actually is is actively watching everything that's going on and is portrayed by the amazing Jeffrey Wright who right now is a major spokesperson for Uncle Nearest which by the way the Uncle Nearest black bottle have you had a t- chance to try it yet I have not oh it's so good delicious bourbon uh but anyway uh Jeffrey Wright Fantastic actor, voice actor, but also on-screen actor, which does kind of beg the question, could we, either next week or probably next week, see Jeffrey Wright portraying a live-action watcher in Loki? Because he's got nothing else to watch. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be so bored. He's going to call the cable company... I'm, uh, oh man, I wish I had my voice. Otherwise, I'd do a Jeffrey Wright impersonation, <laughs> calling the cable company, calling the TVA. <laughs> like, <laughs> but basically, he's got nothing else to watch. So, is he going to like go to the void at the end of time, get all the Lokis together, and say, hey guys, 
we got to rebuild. We got to like re- figure this out. What if Renslayer sees him at the end of time? Like, cause think about it. The watcher, like when the multiverse was being eradicated by Ultron, that's when the watcher steps up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in the comic books, there was always this thing. Like he was always like, I'm the watcher. I've taken a vow and I cannot do anything. I, I can only watch. But he, then he always does something like that's the thing. Like he he's, he could only watch until he can watch no more. And that's one of those situations where it's like. He could watch literally no more. So he's got to do something. He's got to do something. I think you're right. I think we're going to see Jeffrey Wright return as the watcher live action next week. I think that's going to happen. All right. There you heard it here. There you go. I'm with you. A good I'm, stab I'm in the dark. thousand percent with you on this stab of the dark. It is so good. It is so good. All right. Well, that's our, uh, that's our tag. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, there's so much speculation to go into this next week's episode. Let us know your thoughts. You can email the show show at Loki TV talk.com is the place to do it again. That's show at Loki TV talk.com. We have taken over the, uh, the TV talk Twitter. So follow at TV talk FM on Twitter. Uh, send us your Loki cosplay and costumes from this Halloween. Uh, we'd like to see what y'all are rocking and we will share those out as well. If you want to hit us up on Instagram at crew of Loki, uh, is a place to do it there as well. We will make you an honorary Loki for a day. Do that uh, and uh, send that over to uh, at Crew Loki on Instagram. Uh, that is going to do it for us for today. But until next time. For all time. Always. Or for no time. Never. <laughs>